day of lectures and meetings, there's nothing I want more than a nice cuppa. And for that, I go to Roots Coffee House. Located on the ground floor of the hub, Roots is a lovely place to grab a tea, coffee, pastries, and a variety of sweet treats, including the biggest cookies on campus. So pop down to Roots Coffee House, Monday to Friday from 10am to 3pm, and support the Cope Foundation. Roots. It's just good coffee. alternative music, tune in to Set Guitars to Kill every Thursday at 1 on UCC 98.3 FM. Best alternative music, new and old, from Ireland and across the pond, and pointers on gigs that are happening in the area right now. Music across genres including post-punk, math rock, art pop, 90s alternative and so on. Follow my page on Instagram at setguitarstokill.ucc for updates relating to the programme or to listen to past playlists and sessions. Every Thursday from 1 to 2 on UCC 98.0. Good afternoon, everyone. It's my life in a suitcase. Welcome to our show. Well, today it's going to be a lovely show, but um, it's me only today, Manisha, and my fellow host, Sally Ann, is sadly at home uh, with the sore throat. Sally Ann, we really, really miss you, and your place is big time empty. Hope to have you with us next week and get well soon. So, today the theme of the show is Helping Hands. Maya Angelo said, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Um, This is a time that Christmas is near and everybody is really happy and excited. It's a time for helping others. And among helping others today, we have on this topic, somebody very, very lovely, somebody who made a big difference in my life and made a big difference in hundreds of other people's life. We have Fiona Finn with us today. Hi, Manisha. How are you? Hi, great, Fiona. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's, it's really amazing to have you here with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's great to be here. It's lovely to see you again. I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, I've been missing you. It's been like really long time and I know you've been very busy with doing a lot of great work. So why don't you tell our listen- listeners today a little bit about yourself? Um, so my name is Fiona Finn and um, for... Quite a few years now, but maybe 17, 18 years, I worked for NASC, the Migrant and Refugee Rights Centre. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was a the CEO there for 17 years. But prior to that, actually, 
Um, I came to UCC as a mature student. Wow. Um, and I studied law. And then I went on and I did a master's in law as well. And I always, wow. I really thank UCC for that because I think that opportunity really kind of opened my eyes. And I became very interested in human rights law. So from there, then I got a job in NASC as a, a legal officer. And then an opportunity came up um, for the CEO job. And I went for that. And I was there for about 17 years. Now, for those that don't know what NASC is, NASC is the Irish word for link. And in NASC, they work to link migrants and refugees to their rights. It's a Cork-based NGO um, that has been around since 2000. And then very recently, last April, I got an offer of another job. So I left NASC. It was kind of really hard. <laughs> but um, I think it was the right decision for me and for the organization as well. Yeah. Um, I got a job working with the One Foundation. Wow. One Foundation is a private philanthropic fund and they have a sole focus on migration. So on refugees, migrants, migrant rights and, and, like, and everything that that entails. So from children, mental health accommodation so everything within that so it's as wow. broad as it's narrow so even though um, I'm not working directly with refugee and mi migrant communities I'm sort of I hope think that I'm kind of helping yeah. them indirectly by working with organizations and supporting the work that they do. Wow that's really amazing and that is a lot of work and a lot of good work out there and I know that many many people who are who have no hope left they are helped they they were helped by nask and now also by nask and by one foundation and many other amazing foundations out there and as a person who left her country like myself i understand how much that hope is needed so um before moving on let's listen to today's show's first song this song is dedicated to all those lovely people who have left their homes and now living in other countries for all those lovely women who have been fighting for their rights in iran afghanistan ukraine and all around the world so also uh, also sell this song is for you so let's go and listen to this lovely song Back of my hand I felt 
we are back again. That was a lovely, lovely song. I hope Saliana is enjoying it at home. So, guys, this has been a very tough week because a lot has been happening around the world. Um, happy things are also happening, like FIFA started and Christmas is coming. But besides that, um, a revolution in Iran that we talked about last week and we had a very lovely young lady, Hasti, with us. That's still going on. They had a big... Um, um, and they had a big event in Berlin and they have been trying really hard to raise voices. But sadly, it seems like the same way world has responded to Afghanistan, world is responding to Iran. And it seems like when one event happens, the other event just disappears and we forget about that. And then we move towards the the new new sad thing. And I don't think it's it's very good because... All these stories, they're related to people and there are living people that are related in these stories. They're not just something that we hear about. Uh, the same thing in Afghanistan, still Taliban are there and women still don't have any rights and it's becoming every day worse for them. Like I had a message from a very lovely, powerful young lady the other day and it really broke my heart and she wrote and said that we are buried, buried alive and there is no hands to help us anymore, and that's really sad. So, um, I, I read a quote the other day, and it's like, um, during wars, all the religious leaders, like Muslims and Jews and Christians, they say that God is on our side. But that is not true, because God is on the side of women and orphans and refugees, and that is what God only cares about. So let's continue our chat with our with a very lovely and powerful Fiona, a very amazing role model to all to us all. Um, so Fiona, since you've been working a lot uh, with um, refugees, um, first of all, tell us about your feeling. Why did you choose this field of work? Um, I. When I finished school, I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and then it was kind of in the 1980s, and I moved to London, like most of my contemporaries at that time, because yeah. Ireland was a very grim place. So I worked for a local authority there, um, Camden Council. And at that time, there were lots of uh, refugees coming in. Um, and the kind of particular department that I was working in at the time was trying to find them housing and temporary housing. And they would always ask for other information. They would say, you know, how do I do this or how do I do that? And I realized that I actually, I couldn't help them because I didn't know. I didn't have the skills. I really didn't have the skills. I didn't have the knowledge. I was very limited in what I could actually do apart from, you know, as a, at the time working in a local authority as the very kind of narrow remit that I had. And it kind of stuck with me. And then there was, it was in the 90s and I always remember this family came in and funnily enough, the family were from Afghanistan. Yeah. And there was a mum and a dad and a couple of children and they came in and they had really good English and they were looking for housing and we were trying to find them somewhere to live and they had turned around and said we have nothing we have no clothes we have no nothing and the the mum had sold all her jewelry everything everything they owned they sold to come to the UK and then they arrived in the UK and they were homeless in the UK and there was just Something about that, it was almost, that was kind of the reality of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I kind of thought I, I wanted to do something more and I just didn't know, did not know what I wanted to do. I had two small kids at the time and I was like, I can't give up a job and go back to college because yeah. I have two small kids. 
So then we move back to Ireland. This sounds like a very long-winded story now. But we move back to <laughs> Ireland. No, it's And um, I stayed home for a year to get the kids settled into school and everything. And then I thought, oh, maybe I'll go back to college now and do law. And that was the only thing that I thought would give me the knowledge and the skills that I needed to do something in human rights. I still do, didn't even know what I wanted to do, but just to kind of to do something in, in human rights. And then um, I loved it. And I loved, I mean, a law degree is incredible. It gives you a great kind of a grounding in everything. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to become a solicitor. Well, I did, but I couldn't afford it because, again, we had two small kids. So I had to start work. So I started work and I uh, got a job at NASC and I just kind of felt when I started there the first time that I just knew I was doing the right thing. I knew that I, I kind of felt... Um, it was like almost a perfect job for me, if that makes sense. You know, what yeah. I, mean? I was really happy there. Really, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? I f- it felt right. It felt really, really right. You know? <laughs> well, um, th- th- that is so true about you because I remember when, um, when after after a very, very, very hard time in my life, and finally I came to Qatar, and that was the first time I heard your voice, and still that voice is in my ears. And I remember um, it was the first time you talked to me, and you asked me, "How are you doing? Are you happy?" And that was the moment, you know, um, I felt okay. I'm alive. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I'm alive. Yeah, I'm safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm safe, and I know that that there is some hope, you know. So. That, that's really great. Um, you know, many people wonder that what's happening around the world. I've met, um, I've met um, some people who really have, like I've, I've met a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge of what's going on, uh, going on in the world and they're very sad about it and they do think that we need to help. But then there are people who say that, how can we help everybody? It's not possible. There's war going on around all around the world all the time like this globe is in fire it's like it's never ending and there are some countries like Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria that is never in peace and every day there are refugees and asylum seekers and and so there is a limit till like a country can accept refugees you know like like this is what some people think um why do you think that there is a necessity that for every country, you know, just just to just to be open about it, just to just to raise awareness? Why should other countries take the burden of of the countries who are in war and people who are coming running from there and just you know trying to? So I think, firstly, I know what you're saying, and it, like it is a kind of a complicated question, but we've kind of got to remember that. Um, so any country where there's a war, yeah. right, or a conflict, or people are persecuted. The majority of people, so 72% of the total global population of refugees and displaced people will move to the countries that are nearest to them. So say, for example, you have high refugee populations in Turkey. There's high refugee populations in Pakistan. There's a huge refugee population in Uganda. So when people think about this idea or notion that, you know, um, we're in in Europe, we're getting all the refugees, we're not. We're getting, I would say, at most 25% of the refugee population 
try to come to Europe. Now, not all of those populations will come in. So if we look at the countries that receive the most refugees across the world, they're very often in poorer countries that are, you know, developing countries. So countries in the global south that really haven't got a lot of um, economic uh, wealth to support um, refugees coming to their countries. So there is a bit of kind of what you almost call like a moral panic. You know what I mean? That somehow, you know, Europe are taking, you know, all the refugees want to come to Europe. So the reality is, the reality of that is very different. So a small percentage of the world's refugee population try to come to Europe and then within that then so in the Irish context we get a tiny tiny portion of that so we get something like I think currently it might be as a five or six percent now of the of the refugee population of people seeking asylum in Europe are are coming to Ireland and Ireland is like we put ourselves up there like we we are rightly so that we are one of the wealthiest countries in the western world we're um, a kind of a global player yeah. Um, and as part of that and part of being part of this kind of global world and global community, we have a duty, we have a moral duty, but we also have a legal duty under international law to um, protect and support refugees that come to Ireland seeking sanctuary and seeking safety. And I think we can't lose sight of the fact that... Um, even in the European context, give it, if you look at our geographical location, we're far out on the western seaboard. Yeah. Like this isn't Greece, this isn't Italy, this isn't Spain, this isn't Turkey. Okay, and I know the numbers that are arriving because of the conflict in Ukraine have been, yeah, they are unprecedented. Absolutely. You know, 100% they are. They're unprecedented. But... I think, and, and again, that's part of us as being part of this kind of, you know, part, we're being part of a European response. So we're part of a much bigger response. Yeah. So I think our responsibility is on from, from us as people, as humans, to help other people as part of the fact that we are a very wealthy country and we can afford to do it. And if we put ourselves out there as being, you know, a global leader in, you know, in, in the world and leading out in, in, in the EU and we were, you know, and we were a member of the Security Council last week, yeah. then we also have to kind of, you know, stand up and say yes, you know, and, and it's something that we should be proud of. It's not something that we should be kind of, you know, doing it quietly or or whatever. Like, it is a source of pride and it should be a source of pride for a country. Just saying, yes, we're doing this and we can do this. And we're really, really, really proud that we are doing this. And again, we have to remember our history in in Ireland of of mass emigration. So, like, millions of Irish people emigrated and continue to do so. You know, and I think, so in Ireland of all countries, we have this innate understanding of what migration is. And for as long as there are people in the world, people are going to move. They always have moved. They always will move. And I know at the moment the world seems like a really kind of a chaotic and and, and dangerous place. And it is. But there has always been wars and conflicts, unfortunately. Yeah. It really has. And, you know, with with uh, climate change coming down the track, it, it, like we're going to see more, not less. That's true. Of, yeah. of, of, of this kind of, 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 of and, and conflicts will start emerging because of, because of climate change, because of scarcity. So mm-hmm. I think what we, you know, so what we need to do is really, yes, we can do this. And we need to be proud that we can do this. That's you know, true. we yeah, need definitely. to almost, it's almost like kind of we need to grow up as a country. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and take on our responsibility and do it well. Yeah, that, 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 that's definitely true. And, you know, like um, I read that 
nobody um no no one would put put their child in in the water if the land was safe oh that's the the uh, somali english poet yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it was, it was yeah. like which is true it's yeah true. and it was it was such a deep sentence it just you know stayed with me like nobody who is coming to another country they're coming with happy hearts you know unless until your life has become so miserable that you have to leave behind all what you knew when you built and you um you know just you know you have to leave everything, everything behind. Yeah. Like people leave family behind, your whole life behind. Yeah, like everything you know, your relatives, your hometown, your everything that you've known and grown up with. And you come to a totally um, a different land, which is very kind to accept you and give you the warmth and love that you, des- that you desire. But inside, there's still a big emptiness, you know, that never fills because you always feel that peace that is left behind is just behind and it could never come with you, you know? Yeah, I I, I get that. And and like refugees would always say to me that I love Ireland, but like I have only, someone put it once, I have only half a heart here because my other heart. And then like for a lot of um, refugees that are lucky enough to come to Ireland and and get refugee status in Ireland, um, family becomes very important and family reunification becomes very important. And it's very, very, very hard for people who to settle and literally you are starting again, you're starting your whole life again, but to settle into a country and resettle in a country if some of your family is left behind in another country. Definitely, yeah. And in recent years, we've narrowed our family reunification laws. So um, we've narrowed it now to the fact that you could only um, be reunited with a family member if they're your immediate family member. So it would be your spouse or your children. Before, there was what they called like a discretionary um, application. You could apply for a discretionary application, say to be reunited with your, uh, maybe like grandparents or... Um, uh, nieces and nephews, you know what I mean? If if you could make a reasonable case, if you could show that they were dependent yeah. upon you and it was like emotionally and economically dependent upon you. And the, like the numbers that came under that, when that law was in place were quite small, but it made a profound impact on the fa- on, on the refugees who had who who had that who were who were lucky enough to to um, get granted that kind of broader family reunification and on a very practical level it meant stuff like grandparents could look after the kids while yeah. mom and dad went to work just even you know apart from the emotional piece but also from that very 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 practical piece of yeah. you know, starting to rebuild your lives and starting to and starting to starting your whole life again you know i can't imagine how how difficult that is so um what do you think um refugees bring to a country um like of course it is somebody new you know they have entered into a new country Um, what what do they bring with them i mean what happens like what is um what's the color that they bring to that country by color i don't definitely mean the color of the skin i mean the color of life you know what they bring with them i think uh, refugees that come to this country or any country, I think they enrich our country. Mm. I really do. I think they make it a much more colourful place and colourful and rich, not colourful in the sense in in the context of colour yeah. of skin, but they bring their culture, their religion, their traditions, their food, their music, their literature, their um, just just that richness their skills their education it's absolutely it's it, it's immeasurable yeah. it really is i mean the ireland that i left in 1980 to the ireland that i'm living in today 
it, it, it's 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 just so vastly different. You wouldn't even you know, they're they're unrecognizable. And I think we have been enriched. Um, and aside from anything else, like we have, you know, what really struck me was um, like the the even from a, like an economic perspective, um, my mum was unwell recently and, and she was in hospital, but the majority of the doctors that cared for her and were looking after her yeah. were um, doctors that had come to Ireland on a, like a, a, on a work visa. So they were, they, were, they were migrant doctors that came in. And without, I was looking around and I was like, without these guys, our whole... Um, health system would collapse. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like true, even yeah. in that, even in that kind of t- t- it, keep keeping the country going and keeping our health service going and keeping and 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 contributing hugely contributing to to the economic, the social, and the cultural life of of this country. Yeah, and you know, like as as a somebody who has a started new life in Ireland, I just feel um, when you come to a new place and you get accepted and people like you, you just start this new love for that country, for the people of that country that you can never feel if you don't change places, you know? Like to me, though it's been a very short time, but when I look around, I just feel so much love about Ireland and the people around me. And mm, so this this globalization, this though this war brings refugees in all the pain with them, it also brings then happiness and, yeah. you know, like the culture, mixture of cultures and all. So this is really great then, you know, like it, is, it's, it's really, it can be really, really positive. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Um, many people don't know like what organize what uh, NGOs do. Um, uh, a lot of people in Ireland that I've met, and when we, when I tell them about NASC, that how did you come to work about with NASC, they have no idea what these NGOs do, what NASC does, what One Foundation does. So can you please, because you have experience with both of them? Sure. Yeah. So. NASC is the Irish word for link, and it works to link migrants to their rights. So it's an NGO, which is a non-governmental organization. So it's part of kind of what we call wider kind of civil society. Okay. So civil society's organizations would, I think, in my view, are really important. Because civil society organizations, um, like you get them across the sphere. So you get them in, in the migration field, you get them in children's rights, you get them in LGBTQ plus rights. So for all kind of across all different areas in our society. Yeah. So basically they work to get they work the non-governmental organizations say if it was you know a migrant and refugee type NGO or charity their work or their ethos then would be to support um, migrants and refugees in Ireland and um, they work to change uh, government policy for the better um, they'll advocate on with and for um, asylum seekers and refugees and they become it's almost like their area of expertise I think one of the critical things then are the critical roles for me of a kind of a, a, of a of an NGO and of kind of broader civil society is it's really important and it strengthens our democracy because a lot of NGOs can hold government to account Yeah. so they're the ones that can be literally the force for change and I think we saw that in repeal the eighth movement for example like most of that that kind of groundswell of feeling that came after, you know, it, it didn't happen overnight, you know, or non-governmental organizations, civil society and, you know, ordinary women were organizing and, and, and gathering and they'd been working for decades yeah. since uh, the referendum, since the, eighth, the, since the Eighth Amendment to the referendum was, was um, 
put in place in the 80s. So they've been working since then to bring about change. So I think for me, that's a key role or a key part is obviously, yes, supporting the, 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 the group that your NGO is, is, is working with, but also that kind of broader um, positive social change and being absolutely key and critical for um, a strong and vibrant democracy. That's amazing. And then that, that's not an easy job. I think that's really, really difficult to, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's really difficult. And um, all this work that these NGOs are doing, it's really fruitful in helping many, many people's lives. So while we're talking about what's happening in the world, let's listen to this lovely song from Iran. Well, we listened to the same song also last week, but this is such a lovely song and I think we should listen to it and we dedicate it to the very brave women of Iran who are still struggling for a very, very simple right just to be able to wear whatever they want to wear. All the thrill and the fear of getting caught kissing for my sister, my brother and unity for all the times we tried to change their minds and stale beliefs for the loss of pride, for poverty For the dream of just a normal life for you and me For all the children who are starving for a loaf of bread For the greed of politics and all the lies they spread For all the mass polluted air we breathe For all the litter in the streets and all the dying trees For all the animals who suffer from elimination For all the cats and dogs who love us without no conditions For all the tears that seem to never end For all the images that keep on turning in our heads For a simple smile to last a little while For the future generations fighting for their time For empty promises of heaven in the afterlife For all the imprisonment to beautiful minds For all the babies who are born and for the ones who died For all the times you told the truth and all the times you lied For all the speeches that we heard about a million times For all the shacks and shelters that were sold to make it dime For just a glimpse of a peaceful life For the rising of the sun after an endless night For all the pills we pop just to get some sleep For all mankind and our country For all the boys and girls who never knew equality For woman, for life, liberty For women, for freedom, and for all the rights of every woman all around the world. It's, it's, it's very sad though, Fiona, isn't it? That in some parts of the world, 
women are forced to even fight for very, very small things like the right to be able to wear whatever they want to wear, though whatever they want to wear is not even vulgar enough for a country to make a law for it, you know. I mean, it's 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 very simple. It's it's now in Afghanistan. It's it's very sad to see that girls are just fighting for the right just to be able to go to school, and their brothers are going to school, but they're sitting at home. And I know it's shocking. It's 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 yeah. It's it's incomprehensible, really, isn't it? When you think about it, like I know there's always been kind of inequality between the genders, but in some countries, and there is still inequality in Ireland. It's not to say there isn't, but in some countries, it's so stark. Yeah. And when you're talking about Afghanistan and how the Taliban are treating women, and in particular, like women and girls, yeah. you know, um, and again in, in Iran. But I think we also need to, uh, what we can take courage from and, and hope, because you did mention hope earlier on, is that the women in Iran are not taking this. They're not, they're, you know what I mean? They're not lying yeah. down and taking it. They're probably, they're not getting enough support from the Western world. And also, like I've, I've seen kind of images of women in Afghanistan. I mean, the bravery of women in Afghanistan protesting yeah. against the fact that they can't go to work, that they're not allowed out of the home. And I mean, it, it's, it's just extraordinary. It really is. And it's like, this is 2022, you know what I mean? And like yeah. for women are literally, they're taking their lives in their own hands. And they're actually, they're only asking for the very basic of yeah. of rights, the very 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 basic of rights. Yeah, it is. It's 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 horrendous. That's, yeah, it's that's horrendous. definitely true. And you know, at this time and age, unity is very important. Yeah. You see, in Afghanistan, women couldn't continue those those struggles because none of the men, like not even one person, stood beside them. Yeah. it's only women. Finally, they were all beaten down, and they were all sat at. You know, yeah. they were they were forced to set home because their own family men would not, you know, support them. In Iran, I'm very proud that the nation is together, at least that, you know, the youth are together, both men and women, and they're all struggling really hard. And to see the other day, I was I was talking to an Indian friend, and it was very interesting to see that in India, though there is a lot of, um, there's also a lot of difference between men and women in India, but that is changing. And one ch- change is seen is that now a lot of women they are uh, they ha- they have started their own small businesses like roadside small businesses and they are selling coffee and and chai and and different small street food and with a lot of love and a lot of good taste and it's it's very brave in the beginning they were telling me that in the beginning it was very difficult for them because the bystanders who are men they would just be standing and laughing at them and pointing fingers or maybe thinking it's easy it's it's an easy target you know just to be teased or you know said something to them but slowly they understood no these women they're not alone they have they're not one or two there's there's a group of them now and they're increasing every day and they're not easy women whenever they said something harsh to them they would reply back and they stood for their rights and now they're making a lot of tiktoks spreading this thing around it really makes my heart happy you know it's amazing that's really important yeah and the strength and the kind of resilience that 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 women have and also the kind of um you know when you're faced with that level of oppression to be able to find and see a way through it, the kind of ingenuity, do you know what I mean? To kind of, you know, and, and, and have, yeah. like, like not, not every protest needs to be a march in the street with, with a placard, but you yeah. know what I mean? To be able to kind of find a way and kind of say, okay, now I'm going to do this. This is a different way for us to do it, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? And to start having their, their, their voices heard. And I think it is really important that we stand in solidarity with, with, with women who are suffering across the world. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of, um, 
wars are being started by men and it's 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 really sad and then it's women who suffer at home it's women who who suffer because that because their children are killed because their husbands are killed i met few ukrainian women and i can only imagine what they're going through because my husband is living with me but for for her she was t- telling me how how difficult it is for her because every night when she goes to sleep she thinks about where her husband is right now what is he doing is he going to come out of this war alive or is she going to get a bad news and this is not the war that they chose you know nobody asked them if they wanted to be in part of this war the same thing goes for the mothers and and and, and the ladies in russia they didn't choose this war but their children are sent to war for no reason just to attack just for somebody to feel happy about themselves and just think oh this is what i'm doing to to protect my country but that is not true you and know i've had so many um ukrainian women and like they've been phenomenal and there's a lot of them are kind of working in Ireland so they've set up groups so you have Ukraine action in Ireland you have the Ukrainian Irish community yeah. and they're working to you know to to get to keep and it's really i can't imagine how difficult it must be for them you yeah. know what i mean because they're in Ireland they're try you know their their lives have been torn apart they're living in you know not so great accommodation um but they're helping other members of their community yeah. they're also trying to keep um you know trying to be the voice of ukrainians in Ireland um and then also trying to kind of make sure that the U- ukraine stays on the public agenda that doesn't kind of slip down you know what i mean and these and yeah. this is all this is all kind of driven by by women and i remember meeting one of the women recently and she was exhausted because she was working as well and i was like you're going like you you're going to have to take a break you're going to have to just you know take a weekend off and you know take a breath and mind yourself and she was like oh no i can't there's a war on i can't i can't i can't i can't so they're incredible and I, yeah i i i can't imagine how how hard or how difficult it must be you know and yeah. and not knowing and i've met loads of refugees who would say things like um say they 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 would text um they they'd get a text from the husband in the morning if he was alive and then if that text didn't come for whatever reason wifi might be down or whatever whatever the family are there in total panic for days yeah. until until they get another text again to say no it's actually okay yeah. that i'm still alive. imagine the mental tor- torture and the anxiety that they're in all day every it's day unimaginable <sighs> it's really hard so where do you think ireland stands with the recent policies for helping those in need um do you think that helping refugees really take away government's attention and helping their own um i don't think i've yeah. never seen evidence that um helping refugees has has taken um government's attention over helping and i mean their own so when we talk about their own we have to talk about like refugees are our own as well yeah do you know what i mean so um we have an absolutely chronic housing crisis in Ireland and we've had this now for decades and the government have not in any you know, really have not done anything to make serious inroads into that and to helping the 10 or 12,000 families that are living in emergency accommodation and that are homeless but refugees did not cause the housing crisis they did not make the housing crisis worse you know what i mean and i think there's a huge risk that 
when resources become scarce, so say, for example, resources in the context of housing become scarce and people have to start competing for scarce resources, it provides almost like a fertile breeding ground, really, for the for the rise of anti-immigrant sentiment and then for the rise of your kind of your, the, the right-wing sentiment that comes yeah. from that. And it's very easy and it's very lazy to, bring, to blame uh, refugees for everything because it's not... Uh, refugees fault that, that the government hasn't done anything in housing in, 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 in decades and decades and decades you know and if people were to look at the where uh, asylum seekers are being housed and where Ukrainians are being housed I mean you know they're living in really poor um, and appalling conditions um, yeah. so I think what we have to do is we have to provide adequate housing for everybody in Ireland it can't just be, you can't pit one vulnerable group against the other. Um, it's the same when you look at our health service. People are saying, oh my God, our health service is overwhelmed. And then for some reason, instead of blaming the government for, for lack of investment in the health service, we decide that we're going to blame refugees for, for I don't know, getting sick on occasion, who knows. But if you go into our hospitals, like I said before, huge percentage of our doctors are um, migrant workers. Um, and they're, they're the ones that are actually keeping... The, the the hospitals going so I don't I cannot think of any country in the world where one country would have had so much of a focus on a particular kind of group of say migrants or refugees to the extent that um, other um, kind of people, broader policies yeah. or other people have suffered as a result no yeah I asked this question because it's become a mm, as, sadly it has become a trend now that um, on many on um, uh, on many social media like like Facebook and, and Instagram um, if if there is um, something posted like some refugees are being helped or this number of refugees have entered Ireland there is a group of people that they become really upset and then they write really Really sad things. I, I do understand that why they're feeling like this. Um, but as you said, it's not refugees who are causing these problems. These problems were there. They just need to be addressed in a better way. They just need to be solved in a better way. Um, and as you said, yes, all these, I mean, these number of refugees, if, if the other countries, they don't open their doors, then where are these people going? You know, then what, what about the, this humanitarian action and that humanity that we have in ourselves? Um, that if, you know, one neighbor is in pain or in one neighbor is in, in, in a problem, we should be able to open their doors. Even, um, there was some some talk about oh how come Ireland is helping so many Ukrainians but not helping so many other nationals I'm and and for that I think it's because Ukraine for Ukrainian people it's easier to come to Ireland I mean um, uh, Tommy Tiernan he I, I really like Tommy Tiernan and his jokes and and he said something about Afghan refugees and he was he was very funny at the same time it was very deep he said that. Um, he was talking about Australia and he was saying that um, there are many people standing at the border of Australia and among them there are Afghans. And he said that um, Afghans should be allowed to enter because they're coming from a country which is so far away, far away from any sea, but they come all the way from Afghanistan to Australia with a boat on their back. You know, so it's like... It's it's funny because Afghanistan is just land bound. It doesn't have any, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> any sea yeah. attached to it. But he really understands that how difficult it is for an Afghan family to come from such a very far away place to Europe, to Australia, to America, to all these parts of the world. And uh, so 
it's maybe because of that, you know, like it's not always possible. But if you yeah. see, like, there are very few refugees who have gone to Pakistan or who've gone to Turkey, but then there are a lot of Afghans and, you know, and Iraqis and Syrians that they've gone to their neighboring countries. And that is, you know, understandable. I think, I think it's kind of, I, I know what you're saying. And I think, it, like, I think it's a really interesting question. And I do think so, like, the, in general, I think Irish people are very welcoming yeah. and very, very, very supportive. And in particular, the response to, um, the now almost 60,000 people who have arrived in Ireland from Ukraine has been really beyond positive. It really has. Irish people have absolutely, they've opened their hearts, they've opened their homes. And I think what kind of sets this aside is, it, it is it's become very much a European response. Yeah. Um, and I know you said that it was easy for Ukrainians to travel to Ireland, but the European Union made it easy for Ukrainians to travel to Ireland um, by allowing... And I totally agree with this, by the way, I'm not saying this is a bad policy, but allowing visa-free travel for Ukrainians to come to Ireland or to come to well, any uh, France or Germany or any other part yeah. of Europe. But um, And there are a number of different reasons. Obviously, I think because Ukraine is, is, is very immediate, it's happening now. It's also um, on the European landmass. Um, and, you know... It's gendered as well because it's viewed that, you know, there's a lot of women coming and women and children coming. Yeah. And then also, and we may not want to admit it, I mean, these people look look, and are very much like ourselves, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think but what we can do here, instead of turning around and saying, oh, my God, this is terrible, is we can show how effective our policies have in welcoming and, and, and supporting um, refugees and start, inc start, start starting to do that for other groups of yeah. people. So say, for example, um, working to try and get people out of Afghanistan. I mean, you were there and you were part of it. It was extraordinarily difficult. Yeah. And the only way that could happen was by getting these humanitarian visas. And what the humanitarian visas then allowed people to do was to travel safely. Yeah. Was so that you could get a safe flight from... Um, whatever the route, you know, Kabul to, to whatever, Pakistan and across, you didn't have to cross borders, you didn't have to bring your children yeah. on, on, on a dodgy ding, on, on a dangerous dinghy, you didn't have to bring them across the water. So enabling people to be able to come to, to, yeah. to a country and, and seek safety and, 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 and safe, safe harbour in a country. So that was done. It was done on a smaller scale in the context of Afghanistan. And, and we should, <clears throat> excuse me, and could have done a lot more. So I do think that it is you know, also a time for us to maybe reflect upon that and reflect upon how we treat, kind of look at migration in general and yeah. maybe plan for it a little bit more. And we've shown how quick we can turn things around. Like we've shown now in the context of Ukraine that we can, someone can get a PPS number in whatever, four or five days and someone can get a, you know, a temporary residence card in a number of days and someone can get a medical card in a number of yeah. days. And you can think, well, if we want to do it, we can do it. Yeah, it's, you a, know? it's, it's, uh, it's just all about making it possible. Exactly. And it's yeah. about kind of, you know, Leveling it up as well, you know what I mean? And then also, like, if we look at what's happening in the UK, which is just, uh, you know, appalling, you know, uh, there, there's a fear that, and, and like what they've done is they've used kind of migration as a kind of a, you know, it's a, it's become a dog whistle. It's like literally, it's it's migrants' fault for everything, you know what I mean? And the language they've used is is dehumanizing and it's, it's, it's appalling. And I'm not saying that that, <coughs> those forces exist in Ireland, but there is a group of people who um, are very opposed to migrant, a very a group of kind of, you know, right-wing um, racist people who will take advantage of 
um, you know, other communities that might feel, you know, maybe weren't weren't quite sure, yeah. you know, whether whether they wanted a direct provision center in their home or not. And then you have these groups that kind of swoop in or in the, in in their in their community or not. Excuse me, and you have these groups that swoop in and they completely take over the narrative. And we saw that at the weekend with this old disused building in the East Wall in Dublin, where the local community said, you know, we weren't consulted. But it wasn't the local community that came out and went on the street. It was a group of, you know, really, um, I would say far right um, activists came out on the street and they, you know, they were initially saying we need to be consulted, we need to be consulted. But when they're standing on the street shouting at these um, vulnerable people inside in this disused building that had been kind of converted, get them out, get them out, get them out. That doesn't, there's no community engagement that, 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 that yeah. can source that. So I think we need to be very careful. We need to look at communities absolutely 100% will have genuine concerns and you know better and more effective communication needs to come from government 100% but also we need to be really 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 conscious of um, the fact that if we don't work with communities and support communities to accept uh, refugees and asylum seekers into their town or into their village then there are other groups or forces such as you know the the, the groups on the far right yeah. that will take advantage of that definitely factor. definitely yeah you know and when people feel the, you know the the the, the economy we have where we have kind of mass inflation so people are kind of feeling you know a little bit vulnerable and you know they don't have as much money in to spend that they used to spend and everybody yeah. is feeling everybody is feeling the pinch so unless we start unless then government needs to do that really they need to effectively engage with communities and have really strong effective leadership on this to make sure that these communities are not kind of infiltrated, which has happened on a number of occasions now across the country when we're looking at um, setting up direct provision yeah. centres. And in particular, for some reason, um, you know, um, migrant men um, have been demonised for some reason. They've been absolutely stigmatised and they've been demonised. And it's like, we don't want these migrant men living here. And I have no idea. There is no real... And there's, there's almost like an invented harm and in creating a kind of a, you know, a moral panic. Yeah. And I do think that even though we haven't gotten there in Ireland yet, where the right, where, where the right has been, you know, really uh, strong um, and, and being, you know, kind of a really yeah. powerful force, they are out there. And then you talked about social media before. They are out there. They yeah. are vociferous. They are nasty. Yeah. And they will take advantage of any almost like you know if there's if there's like a a, a power vacuum in a sense if there's a vacuum yeah. in an area they will swoop in and 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 infiltrate and and, yeah. and take over it and yeah I think that need to be super really 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 careful about yeah, that definitely it's very very important because um in the countries where where people are not very aware of these issues because um, normally, general population is not very aware about about these problems, you know, about these powers, these external hands that are trying to destroy a country, and they just they just think about some idea and they they listen to them and they're like, oh, that that's really good. But in fact, that is something just trying to destroy the roots of the country. And good examples of these actions are all the countries where right now war is going on, and this is how it started, you know. Yeah. So you have to be very very careful about that. That's really great. So. Um, um, us normal people how can we help how can we be part of you know helping and trying to at least bring down a little bit load from the shoulders of you know like others and we be part of it as well i think 
what's really important, and, and it's like a lot of uh, refugees would have told me this, is just, you know, go and talk to people. Yeah. Go and befriend somebody. Get to know them. Get to know their family. Get to know the, you know, you might say, oh, is it, is you know, quote unquote refugee. But no, it's a woman. It's a mom. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a dad. You know what I mean? So it's around getting to know the people in, in, in your local area. And a lot of refugees would have said to us that Irish people are really, really, really welcoming, but, uh, and really friendly, but it's very hard to kind of break into their home. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure, I don't know whether you felt that now or not, Manisha. But no, I was very lucky. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So this kind of yeah. people find it kind of hard, whereas they're outwardly really, really welcoming and we're, we are we are kind of guarded. I think it's around doing that get, and getting to know, learning about direct provision and learning about um, our policies and also, you know, calling out racism when you see it, yeah. not... Um, not just turning a blind eye to it or not kind of saying, Ma, was that racist or wasn't it racist? You know what I mean? And being yeah. being keenly aware and becoming a really, really, really good ally for um, our kind of brothers and sisters that that are, you know, probably, you know, that, that, that are um, not been treated as equally maybe as, as, as we are. And these are small things in what you do kind of in your, in your everyday life. You know what I mean? These are not, you know, you don't have to go and start an organization or, yeah. or whatever, you know. And there are plenty of organizations out there that you can kind of volunteer for and, you know, and, and, and work with. But there's also kind of smaller changes that you can also make in, 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 in your own life, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I'd always like when you're looking at something on social media and like, just check the source. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes <laughs> you see these like outrageous statements like. Yeah, that yeah, the, definitely that's true. So so this Christmas, you know, one one thing that we all can do is just open our hearts. It doesn't need to cost anything. It just needs a smile and a nod and hello, how are you doing? And and start to know the people around you, especially those who are new in this country. It might be their first Christmas and it might be a really they might be really excited about it, but they don't know how to be part of these festivities and maybe by showing that to them, you will not open their their hearts fill it with happiness, but also make a new friend. And it will be really interesting to see how many similarities you have. And, you know, it's a really good way to break down barriers. And then you will find that you probably have more in common. Yeah. So you have more than, you know, that unites you than, than, than divides you. <laughs> That's true. So the last question, um, during all this time that you've been for walking, you know, one person or one story that really made you think that I'm glad I'm doing this job. I couldn't think of one that really, really stood out. But I do think the one thing that I think has always stuck with me um, in kind of doing this work for a long time, and it was when when I was working in NASC, was if we had um, a successful family reunification application. So, like, you know, very often you'd have... And it's changed now, but maybe in the early 2000s, traditionally men left first and the women and children were left behind. Yeah. And our job was to um, help reunite, the, the to, to bring the family together. And for years, it was a very difficult, complex process that took a long, long, long time. And then eventually, when <laughs> when the, the, the visas were, were granted and family reunification happened, I, I just, just to witness the... 
I, I, like joy is too small a word. The absolute joy of seeing a family <laughs> being reunited. Yeah. Um, who've been separated for years and who've been separated because of war and, conf- and conflict. It's just, I, nothing compares to that, I don't think. You know what I mean? It's incredible. And, and I have been so privileged to have been part of that and so privileged to have to have been been kind of witness to it. And there are loads of families that I could tell you about, but that's the one thing that really kind of, for me, shines out more than anything is is when you successfully you know, help to reunite a family. And then very often they'd bring the whole family into, <laughs> into NASC. And then the kids, because if they had come from, say, like Somalia or an African country, would have these, so many coats on them because they'd be so cold. You know what I mean? They'd be like freezing. It was just, it was, it was wonderful. It was just so great. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> That's and so such a lovely. privilege. That's so lovely. Fiona, thank you so much for coming to our show today. It was really lovely talking to you. And I just wanted to thank you through Radio UCC today. So just to say that you've helped so many of us, so many Afghans, so many Ukrainians, so many Syrians, Iraqis, so many lovely people out there who are just struggling for a very little air to breathe. And you have given them a happy life a new life and that's very very amazing thank you so much from all of us and please continue the good work <laughs> thank you Anisha it wasn't just me I did none of this alone I have to say but thank you thank you for having me so with this last with this last thought we will finish today's show that never underestimate the difference you can make in the lives of others Step forward, reach out to someone that might need a lift. So, thank you so much for listening to our show. And uh, we'll see you next week, same time. Have fun till then and enjoy shopping for Christmas. And don't forget to find a new friend this Christmas. We'll finish this song with uh, this show with the last Iranian song again for remembering all those lovely brave women fighting for freedom. Jesus, I'm free.